Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Scott McAllister, at ST McAllister on Twitter. Today, we're going to talk about lessons in self-care that we can learn from incident response. This is a slightly different kind of show for us, but there's a lot we can learn from incident response that applies to skills we need to develop for professional and personal reasons. We're joined today by an old friend, George Miranda. He's uh, currently the product marketing director at Honeycomb and a former Page It to the Limit host. And I learned today, George, by the way, by looking at your LinkedIn profile, apparently you know French? I do. Wow. Impressed. Impressed. Welcome, George. Thanks. It's good to be here. Thanks for reminding me that my French is so incredibly rusty. The last time I was in France, it was sad. But you know, that's one of those uh, quarantine skills that I should definitely be working on. So I'll put that back on the list. Thanks, Scott. There you go. You're welcome. You're welcome. So to get us started, how should we think about self-care and incident response? How are those things related, George? Well, you know, I've been coming around to the idea that we're going through a pretty astonishing moment of civilizational grief and disorientation right now. And the the grief that we're feeling is, it's not really like traditional grief, right? Like the things that we're losing feel very ambiguous because they have no closure. And the, the coping mechanisms that we've used in the past, uh, more often than not these days, um, don't really work so well uh, in today's world. And so I've been spending a lot of time grappling with that and working through it. And when we talked about doing a show together, it struck me just how similar dealing with ambiguous loss is to a lot of the things that we preach in incident response. So I thought that would be a really good topic to explore today. So I'm, I'm really glad you invited me to do this episode. We're excited to have you, George. Uh, I agree with the it, it's unique uh, situation for all of us. And like you said, it's I think it's that uniqueness of not seeing an end to things. And so mm-hmm. uh, taking care of ourselves is an important, uh, important aspect for all aspects of our life. And uh, it, I'm interested to see what you have to say about how incident response principles can can help us. To get into that, what's one myth or common misconception about self-care that you'd like to debunk? Yeah, first, I'm going to start by saying it's a little counterintuitive, right? Like the, the, the connections right. aren't obvious. So I'm curious to see if we'll get there throughout the episode. But the myth about self-care, I'd say that probably the, the biggest myth about self-care that I'd like to debunk is that self-care is not entirely about you. Right. Like it definitely starts with you. You have to care for yourself, you know, before you can help others. And it's and it's very important that you don't put yourself at the bottom of that list. Right. You should be your own number one priority. Um, But that care also needs to be balanced. And friendship and community, I think, are really key when it comes to self-care. And I know that that during my own recent struggles, especially when I've been you know pretty close to rock bottom, you know, those, those moments where I focused on helping others, um, <laughs> even when I didn't know how to help myself, um, I think those moments pay really unexpected dividends, right? And I think uplifting others can help lift you up in return, right? I mean, you know, presuming that that's all being done in like healthy ways, right? The point here is that it's not a zero-sum game, right? You don't have to take care of yourself or take care of others. How you give to others can also you know, really give to you, right? Like a a rising tide lifts all boats, right? So I'm sure that's not the last platitude that I'll throw into this conversation. Now, keep them coming. I I agree wholeheartedly. Whenever I'm in a dark spot for myself, uh, I find that 
focusing on helping others is one of those common branches, I, I, I guess you say, that I could reach out to that I can commonly kind of climb out of my hole that I'm in uh, for myself. And so I, I can relate to that idea a lot. So why are we doing this show? Why now? Well, so Scott, you and I were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but um, I just want to set a little bit of context for the conversation that we're about to have for our listeners. I've been going through and am still going through the worst period of uh, the worst emotional period of my adult life. Right? And, and 2020 has been a very hard year for, for many people. And I fully admit that I'm way, way luckier than most. Right. I have I have my health. Uh, my finances, my wife and my dog, right? Those, those have been my rocks. And that is way more than a lot of people, other people have right now. But for me, though, I think things along pretty much every other vector have been pretty bad, uh, like across the board. And what I see is that we're all essentially dealing with incidents in our own lives. And when incidents happen, our instinct is to to resolve them, right? To like bring them a sense of closure. But that's really complicated by the fact that we can't grieve certain things, right? It's impossible to gather in ways that we would like. It's difficult to make plans, right? Because we we can't predict where things are going. You know, we can't know what's going to happen next. I mean, hell, it's it's even challenging to understand things that already happened. And so I've been coming around to the idea that what we really need are anchors on which to ground ourselves if we're ever going to you know, pull ourselves through some of this grief. And it, it feels like I've been pretty neck deep in a sev zero incident for a while now. And so sev zero is how we would talk about, you know, unimaginably bad scenarios at pager duty where our sev rating capped out at sev one, right? And sev zeros are undefined, right? They're those like crazy way above and beyond anything that you are normally equipped to deal with type incident. And so let me paint a high level picture. So right after Christmas in 2019, my brother-in-law died unexpectedly. And right when that happened, at the exact same time, I had a profoundly sad and deeply hurtful experience with my own biological side of the family. And I didn't know what to do about the thing with my family uh, because I had a death in the family to deal with, right? Um, so I compartmentalized it. And Scott, we were talking about this, right? Like, I'm very good at compartmentalizing, but but the deal with compartmentalization is that you have to go reopen that compartment and deal with whatever you put in there, right? Otherwise, it ends up coming out sideways, right? It's only supposed to be a temporary solution. But I, you know, I stuffed that thing into a compartment because I I had a death in the family to deal with. And I think I was still processing that death in the family when big career unchanged, like big career changes unfurled for me and, and my work situation became chaotic, right? So I so I put all of those things in a compartment and then COVID happened um, almost right away. A close friend of mine uh, got COVID. He was on a ventilator for a month. He died three days after I started my new job, right? So like, well, put that in a compartment and let's deal. I was uh, I was named the executor of his will. And let's just say that, you know, cleaning up his life was eye-opening in some some very painful ways. So I, I, I put that in a compartment, right? And then a bunch of things happened, right? My, my wife's father died. I helped a dear friend dismantle the business she's been running for 20 years. I had a friend's suicide to deal with, right? And I'm, I'm just going to stop there. But I will say that I had about another half dozen or so things like that of, of equal weight all happening at the same time. And at, at some point, I just ran out of compartments, right? And that's before any of the, the COVID, you know, meltdown of democracy, civil unrest, the entire world is bonkers stuff that's going on, right? Being thrown in on top. And so for me, when the dam finally burst, I ended up dealing with some of the most debilitating depression that I've ever dealt with, right? And, and everything was just hard. And so, you know, how do you deal with the worst incident 
you've ever encountered. And I think because I spent so much of my time at PagerDuty focused on that sort of problem, um, the parallels that I have found as I've started to rebuild and pull myself out of that, I think really jumped out to me. So what I'm hoping is that anyone familiar with incident response techniques can start applying some of those same lessons that we've learned about dealing with incidents to self-care approaches. Because I think many of those things can help us deal and cope with this moment of civilizational grief. And so there there are plenty of personal lessons I'm talking about in there, of course, but this applies to a lot of technical professional lessons as well. So we should talk about both. Yeah. So tell me about one of those ideas that can kind of go across both of those aspects of our life, our personal and professional. Yeah. Um, well, look, I mean, everything is is hard right now, right? Like everybody is struggling to cope with these ambiguous losses that we're unequipped to deal with. So I, we, we have all experienced the loss of many of the things that kept us going, except there's no closure, right? And that's especially devastating because there's no end in sight, which means there's no way to process the grief, right? Like the grief isn't even close to being done. And so everyone, and I mean everyone, is going through this, right? And life right now is hard no matter how you slice it, right? Like if you have kids, the situation we're all in is hard with kids. If you live alone, right, this situation is hard to do alone. If you have roommates, right, this situation is hard to do with roommates. Like insert any situation here, Right. And that's that's hard to do. And we've been at this for, you know, over six months now. And I think we're starting to hit a really big wall and a pretty massive breaking point, which means that we're all running at diminished capacities, even if we don't admit that to ourselves or to others. And the skills that we've learned that have gotten us this far in life, most of those don't apply right now. Right. Like we can't do many of the things we used to do. And so we're all struggling to figure things out. So I think it's important to realize that. Even if somebody presents as fine and it looks like they're okay, they're probably not. So we should not expect each other to be okay. Right? We're, we're all living with a, a burdening degree of uncertainty and loss. And we're all learning how to adapt to our new realities to deal with that, right? Which is hard, which is exhausting. Right. And on top of that diminished capacity, because things are so hard, a lot of the feelings we're having are being super magnified, right? Small things become big things. Big things become, you know, these immense insurmountable things. And so, you know, emotions around grief or pain or loss are all so much bigger right now, right? So we have less capacity. And then the things that happen to us, you know, have these, you know, they take a bigger toll than they normally would. And you know what? Like in the rare case that you are a wonderful, thriving human being right now, congratulations, right? Like that's a very, very big accomplishment. And you should be proud of achieving the work that it takes to get there. But even so, I think we all still need to walk with empathy for our fellow humans who are struggling to figure out those paths. So the lesson here, that's a long way of saying, um, I think we all need to be gentle with each other, like by default, right? Assume that people are dealing with way more than they can handle all the time. So maybe right now isn't the time to pick a fight right? Or stress the bounds of your relationships or add in challenges and expect people to rise to the occasion, right? Like don't make things harder. Maybe now is the time to cut each other some slack, right? And to ramp up the understanding because if you don't, you're definitely going to trigger some incidents, right? And so I think that applies personally and professionally, right? Professionally, when we get that wrong, you know, we damage availability and like we burn through an error budget, but like on the personal side, when we get that wrong, uh, it tends to be harder to recover from than, you know, a blown SLO. 
what do you think we can do? At least let's look at our personal lives first. Sure. Uh, what can we do to not trigger or at least avoid triggering those personal incidents? I think we need to have each other's back. Right. Like it's all about high trust. So, you know, maybe this is actually is not is not too different from the professional approach uh, at all, actually. Right. Because professionally, we know that um, high performing teams have very high trust factors associated with them. Right. Psychological safety is absolutely key for people that are working together to bring out the best in one another. And similarly, I think when it comes to friends and community you know, now more than ever, I think we need to go above and beyond to solidify and maintain that trust. You know, we have to be gentle with one another's psychological safety. And so like when I when I first started going through my own struggles, you know, a lot of the things that were happening were just bad things happening in the world, right? Like death, you can't do much about, you know, COVID is happening and there's fallout from that. And I think to some degree, we're all more resilient when it comes to, you know, bad things that just happen to us. But when something bad happens and it feels like, that something was preventable, right? Like someone's just being a jerk to you or like somebody that should have your back doesn't like, ouch, like those things will break people right now, right? Like that definitely broke me. I've seen it break others. And so when I say we need to be gentle with each other, that's what I mean, right? Even if somebody presents is fine, they're not. So like getting hit with a breach of trust, right? Those wounds strike so much harder right now, less capacity, bigger impact, right? So I think we have to go above and beyond to really communicate with the people that we call friends, right? I mean, that's how you build and maintain trust, right? Clear communication, clear intent, um, over-communication, you know, showing that you care. We have to reinforce that with each other under normal circumstances, right? But as fragile as we can all be right now, I think we owe it to our friends to do that, right? And you owe it to yourself to surround yourself with people that do that for you, right? That's a crucial part of self-care. Have each other's back, build high trust teams, right? And that applies to your friends. We talk about that in in the context of professional situations all the time. But I think that's, you know, not just uh, advice for professional self-care, but personal self-care too. One of the th- thoughts that I've had as you've been talking is that I, I was taught once, and I can't remember who told me this, but that judging everyone by how they appear mm. can be mis- misleading because they said that if you assume that everyone you approach is going through a crisis, like internally, 80% of the time, and this is before COVID, 80% of the time, you're right. Like all of us mm-hmm. can, some people can put on a brave face and some people can look like they've got all their stuff together. Um, but I think all of us go through struggles. And so like like you were saying, I think it's definitely important to have each other's back and to be just a little more, I, kind is the word I like to use with my kids, right? Just to be a little more kinder to, to the people around us. I've seen that a lot. Now more than ever, right? I mean, we all- yeah. We are, we are all trying so hard to put on that face. And the thing that I've noticed is, especially as I've, I've started to talk about a lot more of these things that way more people than you think are just not doing well. Yeah. So what about professionally? What are some ways we can be more mindful uh, professionally? I think we have to be really ruthless about prioritizing the things that we're going to work on and where we choose to focus our limited energy, right? So again, like we were just saying, right? Presume that people are dealing with way more than they can handle. So what does that mean, right? I I think if we're lucky, that means that we have three to four good focus hours uh, of work in us, like a day tops, right? Absolute tops. So how do we spend that time, 
right? Like where will we place the limited investments that we can make with the little bits of attention that we have left to give? And I think professional self-care means making room to contemplate how to make those prioritization decisions, right? It means thinking about where is it going to be okay to underdeliver. And like, I got to tell you, for me personally, as, as like a chronic overachiever, that is a damn hard thing to admit and to own, right? And so ideally, your team or your manager can help you, you know, figure that out. There's a lot that's not going to get done, and we have to realize that that's okay. So first, right, I think you have to own that. Like, things are going to fall. And acceptance is step one, right? If you can't own that, then you can't talk about it openly. You can't examine that situation for what it really is. Right. And so if you are a people manager and you're listening right now, this advice especially applies because it all starts with you. Right. I think it falls on the leadership to set the pace for this. So like, look, if your boss acknowledges that it's expected that everyone is at reduced capacity and that things are going to fall and that we all have to be ruthless about prioritizing, I think that removes a lot of pressure from the team to save face about how they're doing. Right. Because it's it's really hard to admit that your productivity is hurting, especially to your boss. Right. So as that boss, you have to help your team save face. Right. Take the lead. Open the door to having a real and meaningful conversation about you know where people are at by showing your own vulnerability first. And on the flip side, right, if you're not a people manager, this advice still applies to you because on the flip side, right, it's your responsibility to accept that invitation to step through that door and talk about things honestly. And I know it can be so hard to ask for help, but it's much less hard if you can be open and honest about what's happening. And, right, and this part is key, if your teammates also respond in kind by also being open and honest about the things that they're dealing with. So I think it falls on the leadership to set that pace, but it also falls on the team to meet them in kind, right? So the takeaway is this, own the diminished capacity, right? Talk about it normalize it. And if you're in a senior role, set the pace by making yourself vulnerable first. So take that opening shot, right? And then if you have a high performing and a high trust team, um, others should follow suit and and take your lead, right? And then we can work on managing capacity in, in real and meaningful ways. I can relate to having the importance of having good leadership that can set the pace because it really does set the tone for the team for uh, let, talking about capacity, like you're saying, even on like things like vacation or taking mm-hmm. vacation, when you have a boss that never takes vacation, and even though they say, you know, oh, you can use your vacation whenever, you, you kind of have this unspoken like, oh, well, they're always on. I should mm-hmm. kind of be on too if I want to perform. But it, it's really great when you have those managers and those bosses who do set the pace, who do show you how to pace yourself how, you know, when you have those expectations, how to communicate them well, but also how to communicate when, you know, you need to own the fact that things are going to going to fall, as you said. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love it when I have had managers like that. My current managers like that. It's really great. Shout out to Rachel. So let's talk about incidents in the technical sense. What can we learn about managing technical incidents from the perspective of self-care? Uh, yeah, you know, I think, I think as engineering teams, we have to apply the same rules, right? Which means, you know, three to four good working hours in us tops. And if you try to cram in more, if you try to act like we're all running at full capacity, you are in for some really hard and troubling news. And so anecdotally, um, I've heard this from many colleagues, uh, that the number of incidents seems to be going up during this COVID era. And I know that, um, that at Honeycomb, we just, 
went through a, a run of back-to-back incidents. We did a write-up about that. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes. But I know that at, at Honeycomb, when I first got there the previous quarter, we uh, we had a major incident. And one of the biggest things that happened and the biggest things that we learned during that incident was that people forgot what they were supposed to do in their roles because it had been so long since we had a major incident. And this quarter, major incidents became distressingly more common, right? I mean, you know, it happened for our own reasons, but the thing that I'm I'm saying is that I've actually heard this from from a number of friends in the industry that this seems to be happening. So that sort of that like that begs the question, Scott. You know, is this is this something that you're seeing at PagerDuty also? Yeah, it's interesting when you look at the numbers. Our incident volume was pretty flat uh, for several months, uh, leading right up to about March of this year, and then every month since. Incident volume has increased by 7% every single month on top of each other. And so it's just a a graph that looks like it's going up and to the right. And uh, it continues to go. It continues to happen as stress happens on systems, as various products that were definitely being used, but now are being utilized more, you know, video conferencing products and things of that nature that are now going to have a lot more stress on them because a lot more people are going to be using them at, at the same time with kids going back to school, working, that type of thing. We definitely see that incidents uh, are, are happening uh, a lot more. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, you're right. To some degree, we rely on digital services more. And so there's going to be more load there. But I think a lot of it is also just how we as technical teams are reacting to this. I've heard this across the board from, you know, smaller startups that, you know, maybe aren't uh, as in the consumer space, you know, and dealing with people being at home more to, you know, leading tech edge enterprises that are right. And um, I think if we go back to the conversation earlier, I think that's no surprise. Right. I think we need to be gentle with each other, right? We need to cut each other some slack. We need to own where we are and what we can and we can't do right now, right? And we need to talk about those things openly and honestly. And I think what we're seeing right now is sort of the results of not doing that, right? And I think that there are a number of orgs that are pretending that the same ways that we manage teams pre-COVID still apply post-COVID, right? And nothing is the same anymore, right? We need to learn new ways to communicate and cope Right. We need to learn new ways to be gentle with each other and forgive each other and like, you know, figure out new dynamics because I think that is the only way that we're going to make our way through this without inflicting more damage or, or creating more incidents. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Uh, as a father, and as I try to raise my kids, as I'm, I referred to before, we try to teach them to be kind. Like above all things, yeah. is I'd rather my kids be kind than honestly, than smart or talented. I mean, yes, let's, let's develop the smart and the talented, but also let's, let's develop kindness and understanding with other people. And so I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I love that. So are there any other incident response lessons we can apply here? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, Scott, like you were saying, like kindness, your time has arrived. Similarly, I think blameless postmortems, like your time is here. So now more than ever, right? I think we need to learn from incidents that happen, both professional and and personal, right? So going back to my earlier story about my own compartmentalization, I had to go back and, and reopen each of those compartments, right? And those were all, you know, separate personal incidents that had not been properly dealt with or resolved. Um, and I think examining those was especially hard in, in most cases, because again, right, we're living in ambiguous times, lacking closure. You know, and it's not like many of those incidents are quote unquote over, 
right? So, so how on earth do you start working towards resolution when they're not even over? For me, it, it became about finding anchors. For each incident, for every compartment that I had to reopen, I had to figure out what happened, right? How we got there, what the contributing factors were, you know, what, what lessons could be learned and, and what, if anything, I could do to, to mitigate that same type of grief in the future. So let go or be dragged, right? It's, it's sort of the philosophy. And, um, you know, it's not like getting that point or, or to that understanding is, is easy or, or even always possible. And it's, it's not like grief ever entirely goes away either. But processing those situations has to be done in, in as blameless a way as possible. Uh, I think that reflection has to be really objective, right? And you have to remove your various biases from the equation as much as possible, which, <laughs> trust me, is a lot easier said than done. If you don't strive for that, right, you'll never get down to a real understanding that you can center yourself around. Uh, or if you do, you'll get it wrong, right? Same as in incidents, right? Often the easy answers that place blame in comforting ways, those may help you call it done, right? You might have found your quote unquote root cause, but those easy answers do nothing to teach us about you know, how we get ourselves to a better place in the future. So my advice, right, when dealing with things that lack closure is uh, sometimes you need to make your own closure, right? And uh, probably the best way to do that that I have found is to anchor around blameless analysis. And, you know, I found that that similar to technical incidents, you know, some situations are easier to understand and mitigate than others, right? Some of those compartments I could open and it was, it was pretty easy to sort the things that were inside. Some of those were anything but, right? And to be honest, some of those are still an ongoing slog and, you know, I don't, I don't know that the grief will ever entirely go away uh, in some cases um, or that, that anything would even prepare me better for next time. Right. You know, sometimes the understanding that you get is that you don't understand and that's okay too. Right. It's a data point for next time. So, I mean, hopefully that sounds a little familiar, right? Like this is pretty much the incident investigative process come to life. And I think a lot of the same approaches that we use to, to diffuse blame, to mitigate risk, and to drill into better understandings that, that help us learn from the incidents that are happening in our lives, I think those are all skills that we can really reuse in the context of self-care. So I'm telling you, Scott, blameless postmortems, like your time is here, right? Especially in this time of dealing with loss and a time when we need better self-care, like their, their time has arrived, and I think we can practice them almost daily now. For sure. For sure. And that definitely brings the two ideas together, right? Of self-care and incident response. Because by doing those things, we can keep uh, that self-care to top of mind, not only with ourselves, as you mentioned, but also when dealing with other people. Yeah. Because dealing with everyone around us and and interacting with everyone, it's, it's important to keep that in mind that we're all going through our own incidents. I think it's the only way we'll stay sane, right? I think it's the only yeah. way that we'll really understand the the world around us that is incredibly difficult to even comprehend right now. Absolutely. All right, George, you know the show. You know it well. You know the format. <laughs> and so we, we have a couple of uh, recurring questions that we'd like to ask. Uh, what's, uh, what's something you wish you would have learned earlier in, about running software in production? When it comes to production software, I wish I would have known that being on call did not have to suck. Right. And we didn't talk about any of that this episode, so we can talk about it some other time. But I really wish that I would have seen good examples of effective incident response when I was growing up in my technical career. Right. Like I never had good role models in that regard. And I don't think it was until I landed at PagerDuty that I learned what good 
response process and effective, sane, you know, healthy ways of dealing with incidents looked like. <laughs> actually, and so hearing myself say that, um, I actually, you know, also hear some parallels to our earlier discussion, but strictly, yeah, speaking about production software, same idea holds. I'll go with that. All right. So about today's topic, then, what are some things you are glad that we did not ask you? So, you know, I'm actually, I'm really glad that you did not ask me to go into more detail on the personal side. Um, and I think, you know, Scott, that I'm, I'm a pretty private person. And I think that under normal circumstances, I would never even dream of being this open about my own struggles um, or hardship, especially this publicly. I know what your listener numbers are like, but we're not living in a, in a normal world, are we? Right. And I think that the more this type of struggle is normalized, the more that we can talk about the hard things, the more that we can be open and honest about deeply difficult subjects, right? And I think the more that we can do that, the more likely we are to be able to learn how to be good friends and good colleagues to one another, right? So, you know, I, I read I read a story today that I think was a little uplifting. So last week, I was devastated to hear that Big Basin State Park had been destroyed by those massive wildfires in California, right? And today I read that uh, most of the ancient redwoods on the main loop are charred, but they're still standing, right? And I think if that's not the perfect thing to refill your cup a little in 2020, I don't know what is, right? Charred, but still standing. So I think we can get there. And I, I think that's resilience engineering in a nutshell. I think so too. George, we appreciate you coming on for opening up and and sharing some honestly very personal and very vulnerable uh, topics and feelings with us. I, I know that the listeners will relate because we can all relate with uh, professional, but also very personal incidents in our lives and having to deal with them. So we appreciate you coming on today. Thanks for having me on the show, Scott. This is Scott McAllister, and I'm wishing you an uneventful day. That does it for another installment of Page It to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes on pageittothelimit.com and you can reach us on Twitter at pageittothelimit using the number two. That's at pageittothelimit. Let us know what you think of the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, uneventful days are beautiful days. 